This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. We then come to the second half, and rather than inner, it's outer, like we've already said, rather than passive, it's active. And the question that really gets this going is there's this sense that the gospel prizes faith over works, so then some people would say, oh, well, Luther and, Luther and those people who follow him say that you don't actually have to do works. So this is, um, in a sense, a defense of why Christians are going to do works. And it plays into the second half of the paradox at the beginning. If we've just described um, how a Christian is perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none, we are now going to say a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. That's where we're moving into now. Um, and the argument is always coming back to the sense of since we have been freed from having to do works before God, nothing is being demanded of us from God. We are freed to do works for others. Um, so freedom is very, it's a very relational concept. It's not sort of freedom unhinged from anything else or freedom unhinged from responsibility. It's just, it's a freedom to trust that God has done all things for you and a freedom to love others. In other words, this freedom is precisely the thing that takes you from curving in on yourself and it opens you up to God and the world. Um, and the first, Luther doesn't start there really. The, word, the first place where he starts is saying, why do we have to do works? And it's precisely because since the inner man is pure, it is united to Christ, it is forgiven of all sins, the outer man still exists in the world. It's still plagued by sins. But insofar as we are pure in the inner, we want to be pure on the outer. So we want to discipline the body, discipline um, the flesh so that it too can be pure. So in the middle of 295, he says, Since by faith the soul is cleansed and made to love God, it desires that all things, and especially its own body, shall be purified so that all things may join with it in loving and praising God. Of course, he's going to keep reminding, uh, reminding you of this fact. It says, Nevertheless, the works themselves do not justify him before God, but he does the works out of spontaneous love and obedience to God and considers nothing except the approval of God whom he would most scrupulously obey in all things. So, what... <laughs> You're just making a face. Yeah, I was thinking. Okay. It um, seems like he's still concerned about what God has to say. Mm. Like he would scrupulously obey God. I mean, I think he's driving at that that thought that the new man that's created by the Holy Spirit is given new desires and new impulses by the Holy Spirit. So there should be that desire to obey God. Um, because God has revealed his will for us. And if, if we as the new person know that will, um, there should be the desire to mortify the flesh. 
Is that oh is that all right? No, it makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm trying to, to, to mesh the, the whole spontaneity piece with scrupulous obedience. Right. <laughs> 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 Which is it? Yeah. Yeah. Seem, yeah. You are scrupulously obedient in your spontaneity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, spontaneous struck me as wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, scrupulous obedience, I can't I understand. <laughs> Can I plant a bottle of my flowers as opposed to just being this thing that arises in my heart out of the love and obedience no. for God? He's like driving. I mean, yeah, we, since that's the operative illustration of the day, the life and flower metaphor from Paul, uh, you know, I, I don't think, I don't know, maybe spontaneous was just. A rhetorical, rhetorical flourish. I don't know. Or scrupulous obedience. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm leaning towards. Like, uh, he's just, it's rhetoric. You know, scrupulous obedience. Like he wants to. In all he things. Just, he delights in the law of God and his being, right? He would most scrupulously obey in all things. <laughs> Considers nothing except the approval of God, whom he most, yeah, scrupulously in all things. It's a very absolute. Yeah. He, he does that, doesn't he? He, does. he lives either. Tell me about Paul. He's both Paul. simul. Simul is a big word to describe Luther in a lot of ways. But then he's also very dichotomous. It's black or it's white, but then other times it's all gray. <laughs> and so, and he's one or the other. And it's just always maddening to figure out where he is. And so it's both at the same time, both spontaneous and scrupulous. You can see it's why those, it's all the German philosophers who developed the dialectic. Because we was right out of That's That's probably not unfair. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, they talk about law, gospel, mm -hmm. you know. Dichotomous, the two never bedfellows. The never, 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 never shall meet. The bed is narrow, only Christ can be there. Law, get away. Oh, I don't think, uh, I don't think there's any disagreement in the room in that any good, whatever is possible, whatever good is possible, is only and always instigated by the Holy Spirit. I don't think there's any disagreement in the room on that, right? I don't know. Okay, yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Um, just as far as I'm looking at like Luther and how he explicates it, I mean, He's essentially saying that spontaneous love. Well, he says that elsewhere that God is the worker. God is always the work. Um, and we just read that title part. I wonder sometimes. This is a geek statement, but I wonder, like, is he writing this? Does he pour over this in several drafts, or is he just scrolling this out and just you know sends it off to the printer ASAP? And, and people are like quoting it back. He's like, did I did say I that? that? I know it. We're we <laughs> over this stuff. Well, that's true. <laughs> we I do think these three treatises were written in three consecutive months. They were very quick. And he had other things he was doing too. <laughs> he would make he would make fun of Melanchthon for fretting over um, and never being willing to turn over his writing. What did he say about Melanchthon? He said, "I'm a." I yield the blunt axe to clear the forest if you want rows of trees and meticulous mm. lines, you know, Melanchthon your man or something. Like yeah. That. Do you, do you know? I, I, yeah, that, that, I've heard something like that before. Which is a, that's an underhanded compliment. Yeah. Um, 
right after he talks about this, though, he goes on to say, though, um, that insofar as we are the new man who wants to purge the outer man of the, of the, the sin, he's going to immediately go back in page 297 to 298 to talking about um, how you are like the tree. You are good, and therefore you have fruit. And it's never the other way around. Um, so 297, the top of that second paragraph, it says, The following statements are, tr- are therefore true. Good works do not make a good man, but a good man does good works. Evil works do not make a wicked man, but a wicked man does evil works. So he never wants you to lose sight of that fact. Um, even when he's going to say something like, you have to go to battle against the flesh so that you can spontaneously and scrupulously obey all things. It always has to be grounded and rooted um, in this reality of justification. Um, Was that uh, builder metaphor from Aristotle, the one you keep using about if you want to be a builder, go, you have to go learn how to be a builder? Yeah. That's from Aristotle? I'm pretty sure it is. So if it is, then Luther's being very subversive with his illustration at the, the last paragraph on 297, yeah. discussing the same thing. Illustrations of the same truth can be seen in all traits. A good or a bad house does not make a good or a bad builder, but a good or bad builder makes a good or a bad house. He actually goes backwards one step to the house now, yeah. to the builder who makes a house instead of, you know, I think it feels like he's saying, whoa, look. Yeah. Flipping Aristotle on his head. I should say. You don't know that. Well, I can't remember if it's coming from Aristotle himself, but that's the image that always gets used to discuss Aristotle and his ethics. So it Anybody reading this with a philosophical background would have known where he was going or sort of who was the object of critique. Um, This is a subversive example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you go to page 300, um, this is sort of the final section of why you're doing works and why you're purging the old man of sin. This is where he kind of stops before he starts to talk about specifically doing works for your neighbor. Um, He says, but this Leviathan or perverse notion concerning works is unconquerable where sincere faith is wanting. Those work saints cannot get rid of it unless faith, its destroyer, comes out and rules in their heart. Work scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he invented words. So that's what I mean. That's what I'm going to do anytime anyone gets legalist on me. You're such a work, work saint. <laughs> like, what was that? And what's that Latin word? It's going. Work saints cannot get rid of it unless faith, its destroyer, comes and rules in their hearts. Yeah. So epic. Mm-hmm. It is so epic. <laughs> so he's still always circling back around. Yeah, he is. Back around, back around. Um, the final section we'll discuss, because I don't think we're going to get into the last bit on faith and ceremonies and human traditions, which that is an interesting thing, but we'll, we'll probably cut off before then. It's just this question that he has, for whom does a believer live in the world? For whom do I exist and in whom do I have my life? That's not a rhetorical question. No. no. For our neighbor. Yeah. 
A man does not live for himself alone, his mortal body, to work for it alone, but he lives also for all men on earth. Rather, he lives only for others and not for himself. Mm. Where is he so he's going one second paragraph. So that's an act of righteousness statement. I'm wondering how it interfaces with what's the chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Hmm. This is because that's the enjoyment of God, is the service of neighbor. Perfectly free, dutiful of none, perfectly uh, bound to all, servant of all. So I'm trying to find this one statement he makes where he talks about the criterion for uh, for doing works for the other person. Um, okay, here we go. Um, it's sort of in the middle of 302. He says, this is a truly Christian life. Here faith is truly active through love. That is, it finds expression in works of the freest service, cheerfully and lovingly done, with which a man willingly serves another without hope of reward. And for himself he is satisfied with the fullness and wealth of his faith. By scrupulous obedience. Yeah. Scrupulous <laughs> <laughs> works spontaneously. I mean, this would be how some, some reform folks will articulate preaching the third use. Mm. Yes. They will say, this is what the free life looks like. Yeah. You know? That's at least what they'll say. It's, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Where were you? Where Still you? Feels uh, 302, middle of it. Still feels impressive to you. It is. It's very impressive. Oh, yes. And there is also this strong sense that your, your work for the neighbor, um, your gift giving, is not discriminating based on any other criterion than does this person need it. Um, that's the one thing you ask about a person, whether they're friend or enemy, good person, bad person, what other, other, other distinctions we would make. So you just do the work for the other um, because you have a surplus of, of wealth and the faith that you have and you can afford just to give and give and give of yourself. Um, and he, he does this sort of weird reading of Philippians 2, mm-hmm. 6 to 11, mm-hmm. um, where the, the form of God is sort of this self-giving thing that um, we receive in a way. Um, so it says, So a Christian like Christ, his head is filled and made rich by faith and should be content with this form of God which he has obtained by faith. So it's this sense that as Christ has been handed over to you in faith, um, we follow that example of just self-giving to the people who don't deserve it. Um, faith, faith gives us all the things we need so that we can be open-handed to everybody else. Yeah. Um, we no longer need to extract from others anything, so we're free to give everything. Yeah. Which is interesting here because Luther's interacting with Aristotle in a positive way. I don't know if he's intending to or not, but he's so negative. But 
it was about him earlier, but it was Aristotle that said that the good life is one that's basically uh, enjoying something for itself and not the benefits, mm. which is only virtue, happiness. Yeah. And, and that's what Luther is saying here is that when the gospel frees you, you're free to just simply enjoy people not for what they can give you, but just because of who you know who they are and how you can serve them. Yeah, that's the good life. Hmm. You can't do that apart from Christ. Yeah. yeah. Um, page three hundred eight, about the middle of it. Um, this is where he lists the only two reasons, or the only two things that make a work good or Christian. Um, and he says, from what has been said, everyone can pass a safe judgment on all works and laws and make a trustworthy distinction between them and know who are the blind and ignorant pastors and who are the good and true. Any work that is not done solely for the purpose of keeping the body under control or of serving one's neighbor, as long as he asks nothing contrary to God, is not good or Christian. So those are the only kind of works for Luther that um, can be called good. Simply those by the Holy Spirit that are mortifying the flesh, trying to drown out the old Adam, or those that are just serving the neighbor. That person still seems like a shade of monasticism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think Luther ever fully lost that sense. I mean, it was obviously changed from this deep feeling of depression and almost need for, you know, physical flagellation or, or whatever. Um, but there was a sense that, yeah, every day there's a battle happening within me that I have to to be at war with the old man. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, those two things are linked. The reason he needs to keep his body under control is precisely because when it's not, it'll hurt my neighbor. Mm-hmm. So it's not like two separate things in his mind. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yep. I think I think that's key, and it makes the, it kind of gets away from the monastic bit. You know, right. It's like I'm not just doing this because it's like holy. Yeah. It's doing this because this hurts my neighbor when I am yep. an idiot. Yeah, I would say that, but I'd also just point back to the fact that the first reason he gave for doing works is because he said, insofar as the inner man is holy and free and forgiven, we want to see our whole self be conformed to that as well. Um, so he did, he did talk about um, the reason for disciplining the body is just the fact that you've received this gift in Christ and we want as much as we can to make our whole life conform to that gift. Um, and that's, not the only, that's not the thing in itself. That's not the only reason. But that at least is a reason. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, 
please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.